Hello, and welcome to the Farm and Fiddle podcast. This is a podcast based on the radio program Farm and Fiddle, the oldest radio program to talk about sustainability. We started back in 1999, and we air on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time at KOPN 89.5 FM in Columbia, Missouri, and KOPN.org on the World Wide Web. The interview on this podcast is an interview with Dave Dillon, Vice President of Public and Media Relations. It first aired on October 5th, 2022. I'm your host, Margot McMillan. Thanks for listening. Well, I, I wanted to to ask you to kick things off by telling us what is Missouri Hospital Association? What do you guys do? So we uh, we are uh, much like other other associations that represent industries in the state. We we certainly do advocacy work on behalf of the hospital community uh, statewide. Um, where we differ is that um, we are have kind of a much broader mandate from our members. Uh, it's, it's well outside of just the scope of interfacing with the state government and lawmakers. Um, we own a data company uh, that, uh, that services both Missouri uh, hospitals as well as hospitals in about 20 states. Uh, we have uh, some uh, big data uh, resources relative to the ability to analyze data and understand translate that big that data set not just a validation uh, of data purpose but more of a purpose of uh, bringing that to making it useful for the hospitals that are reporting in and then are getting data out so we're kind of a transformation agent in addition to uh, traditional advocacy moreover we help hospitals implement many of the the type of programs that are necessary to to deal with both quality improvement and regulatory compliance so we have experts that go out in the field and, and help hospitals understand how to do a lot of the work that is necessary. I suppose it would be the kind of regulations or things, maybe new things coming down the pike that you would help people understand. Certainly. So there's the, you know that component, which is almost a traditional advocacy component, be translational relative to uh, what you're required to do. But then there are the things that we do well, which uh, that that relate to taking successes and helping those successes be disseminated throughout the entire health uh, healthcare system in Missouri. So we do uh, knowledge transfer for uh, our our hospital community, but we also do partnerships with other uh, stakeholders like the Department of Health or like the Missouri Primary Care Association that represents uh, the community clinics and in, in uh, many towns throughout Missouri. And uh, we work together with them to try to to improve the quality of care, improve improve access to care, but um, in general to improve the the entire system of care in the state. So there's uh, there's a lot. (laughs) We just do a lot more than a lot of other associations. So uh, we have a field program that 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 kind of bifurcates uh, the the metros and the larger cities from 
the uh, at what somebody in, from St. Louis would call outstate, but they are a very different set of hospitals and a very different set of issues facing those hospitals. So we we do a lot of uh, work in the field so that we can uh, understand what their their issues are. Um, and then work to on the state and federal level to translate those into policies that allow them to, to be vibrant institutions. Maybe you could talk just a little bit about what the differences are between, you know, the, the urban hospitals and the rural hospitals. What are what's expected of each one? Well, ultimately, the the expectation is actually very similar, which is, uh, you know, to provide uh, life-saving care to provide care, uh, up, you know, throughout a continuum, meaning uh, to connect when uh, acute care is needed uh, and to foster health improvement with primary care, and then to kind of be a, a community-based institution that helps improve care outside of the care environment. A lot of what happens in health does not occur in the clinical environment. It occurs in, in the communities that we live, work, learn, and play in, and to, to increase health, you have to work outside the campus of the hospital. That means public health type work. It means understanding where the differences in health in your community is. And that is true both in urban and rural hospitals. And then to begin to move assets into that space. So if you, you know, think about Missouri, uh, and this holds true for urban and rural, but it may be a slightly more profound in rural areas, uh, chronic conditions like diabetes that you know are in many cases preventable, especially if a, an individual is engaged on, on improving their health in that space early, can be translationally really important to avoid all of the other compounding health issues that are often related with, to diabetes. So Rural hospitals and, and urban hospitals really don't differ on some of those fundamentals, uh, what they try to do to improve community health overall. It, the difference often is scale. And so it, it, in many cases, it's easier for a, uh, a hospital that is part of a system to uh, capture resources uh, you know, from that system that bring in expertise, that bring in uh, uh, funds uh, that, that bring in all of those assets that, um, that translate into making something like that easier. Mm-hmm. And um, often we find uh, that where there hasn't been integration uh, of a hospital and a rural place into a system, uh, that those assets are a little bit uh, uh, less available. Um, We'll get to the core of why that is, uh, you know, in a moment. But um, you know, that is the part of the struggle. Is um, you know, how do rural hospitals do kind of next gen uh, care in an environment where uh, you know that's, that's hard from a financial perspective. It's hard from a uh, the perspective of staffing. It's hard from a perspective of having the staff to be able to do the analysis of what's important and how to move the dial just a whole host of issues that are more pronounced in rural communities than they are often in urban communities. Um, and in both cases, the, the representation of independent hospitals is uh, significantly greater in rural Missouri than it is in urban places. Mm-hmm. When you talk about independent hospitals, I wanted to ask you, um, how do what's the business part of a hospital? Who who owns a hospital? 
One of the things I often say very early in an interview is that uh, that there's an old saying uh, in hospital administration that is, if you've seen one hospital, you've seen one hospital. <laughs> um, and so they are not, uh, you know, homogenous. Um, everyone faces uh, challenges, many of which are built into um, the history of the institution or the community they serve uh, that are not necessarily all fully translatable into uh, a uh, a system that could easily uh, be be shared. So some struggle financially. Others, str- their their uh, their challenges may be more pro- profound in a workforce uh, uh, area. Mm-hmm. Um, others, yeah, I mean, they're just they're just really uh, there's a lot of diversity. Um, but you know, uh, look, ask me that core question again because I did want to I did want to make the point that <laughs> this wasn't a homogenized community, so it's hard for me to broad brush. Um, challenges, but there are some that are broad brush challenges. Right. So maybe maybe you could give me an example of a, a broad brush challenge and then of a more particular challenge. And we could we could take a hospital that you're familiar with if you want to use an example. Um, well, kind of by uh, uh, my, my, my code here at MHA, uh, is that I, I cannot speak of independently of hospitals. Ah. I have to speak of them collectively. Gotcha. Uh, but but in this area, that actually isn't that hard to do. Um, so what we see in in rural communities, since I think you know what you're looking for is uh, is primarily rural, is um, is ref- reflective of the same kind of challenges that we're seeing uh, for other institutions in rural areas. Um, rural communities um, uh, tend to, while they are often uh, tight as um, as communities, they often lack other assets that uh, tend to strengthen health. Um, so it's difficult, for example, um, to recruit physicians and uh, and nurses or nurse practitioners um, unless they're local. Um, and so, you, you know, we see that that workforce challenge um, being a dominant challenge uh, for many rural hospitals and rural healthcare uh, facilities, simply because unless you have some sort of innovation uh, going on in, in essence, growing your own talent, um, you're competing, uh, with, you know, for with large institutions for folks who are credentialed, uh, who are well-educated um, and who you know, unless they want to live specifically in a rural area, and there certainly is um, a lot of work going on to foster that, uh, then it's more difficult. Um, and especially today, uh, where we know that there's a, a vast nursing uh, shortage, for example, and that's the largest category of employees we have, um, it's hard to compete uh, on, a, on a salary perspective uh, for a rural hospital with you know, the urban hospitals or even with other states, um, you know, with the COVID uh, exposed the, the 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 issues that we've been trying to eliminate for years that um, we were already facing some structural issues relative to our workforce, um, and those uh, now have become um, dire issues uh, for our sustainability over time. Uh, with you know, adding uh, burnout, adding. Um, you know, the, the COVID and other disease fatigue, um, it's, it's, and even the, the, 
what you'll see, um, you know, fairly often now, um, where we have attacks, uh, you know, physical assaults and attacks on on healthcare workers, um, which is not necessarily COVID related. It was we saw it before, but it has become more pronounced. So these, it's it's become very difficult um, for many rural hospitals to uh, to adequately staff their facilities, and they're having to look down the road with a workforce that, uh, on average, is in their late 40s uh, into their early 50s. Uh, to try to figure out how to identify the next uh, workers when those incumbent workers uh, begin to retire or leave. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's a plethora of uh, situations. So, you know, one of the the greatest challenges, um, and I I would not be the only voice available to speak to this, is the the moment has become this confluence of, of absolutely existential issues. Um, if you think in terms of how healthcare is paid for in the country, um, uh, the majority of what hospitals and other healthcare providers uh, are, are paid uh, for is care through the Medicare and the Medicaid program. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that would be from a, uh, you know, what a business person would call their book of business, uh, the majority. Um, how much of the majority versus, you know, a slim majority versus a significant majority will differ. But those, the rates of payment uh, in those programs are uh, less than the cost of providing the care. So if you have, uh, if you look at the, the demographics of rural parts of the country where you've got an aging population, you've got a poorer population, so you probably have more qualification for Medicare and Medicaid, um, you're going to look at your book of business um, and you're going to see that a larger share of that is likely um, paid at, uh, at cost or less than cost. Um, some rural hospitals have a designation designation called the uh, Critical Access Hospital Program, um, which began uh, several decades ago, and it was designed to pl- to pay cost plus one percent, which would allow at least um, in the Medicare program, which is uh, you know the eight hundred pound gorilla in healthcare, uh, the ability to for many for many institutions as their baseline to at least kind of break even plus. Wow, unfortunately. Um, especially it was, I think, believe into the Obama administration budget making, they began to sequester uh, funds when they couldn't begin to come up with uh, federal budgeting continuing resolutions. And as a result, those, uh, even in the Medicare program, those hospitals that are in preferential treatment because they are critical access hospitals are now paid less than cost uh, because they sequestered 2% of HHS budget, and as a result, they ended up uh, sequestering two percent of Medicare's budget. So, um, you know, it's it be, it is a very different different and dynamic for rural hospitals. At the same time, uh, the, those uh, those demographics um, extend to their fewer businesses that provide commercial insurance, and that's usually the offsetting factor from a financial perspective. Um, is that you're able to build enough pad into commercial payers or self-pay that you can make up the balance and not have uh, have a loss uh, or, you know, have a margin that is, so it's said in healthcare that basically to be able to sustain yourself, you have to have about a 2% margin. We call it a margin because we're not for profits and, you know, it's basically mm-hmm. a profit, but it is uh, for reinvestment. Hmm. So you have to be able to sustain your organization, have about a minimum of 2% a positive margin. More than half, uh, probably significant more than half of Missouri hospitals are now um, having negative margins. 
And this is an interview with Dave Dillon. It first aired on Farm and Fiddle, October 5th, 2022. Dave Dillon is Vice President of Public and Media Relations for the Missouri Hospital Association. I'm Margo McMillan, and this is a production of Farm and Fiddle from KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia, Missouri. Everybody, every American probably understands right now why. Um, inflation has driven costs uh, through the roof uh, at a time where the payment system uh, is still uh, stuck in uh, payments designed for a year of about 3% inflation. And so um, get all of our input costs, uh, there's pressure on the uh, staffing uh, and pay. Uh, there's uh, all of our suppliers are, are passing along costs, uh, but our payers uh, are built into annualized or longer contracts. And so all the financial pressure that we were seeing before and that was a lot uh, is now amplified. Ah, I see. Well, uh, we, we're hearing a lot about rural hospitals closing here in mid-Missouri, and, and you've done a, a good job of preparing us for the answer to why that, mm -hmm. why that is. Um, I guess, is it, do you, well, what do you see as the, as the major fix-it strategy? Well, so I, it's, it's a good question. And there's, um, there is some work being done um, on the federal level to begin to nip around the margins of what uh, a hospital may look like long term. And what we see, I mean, once again, the federal federal policy is perhaps more important on uh, health care for large organizations like hospitals more than state policy, although both matter, um, especially when you're talking about workforce development and the like. But when it comes to the payment system, um, generally speaking, the, the federal system, given Medicare, uh, is uh, is a driver. Uh, one of the things that uh, as happened recently um, was a federal adoption of a new um, type of hospital, um, and that would be basically a rural emergency hospital, which is not a hospital in as many words, um, in that it is it, uh, the, uh, roughly the equivalent of a freestanding emergency department in rural areas. That is, I, it, it will be probably years before we fully understand whether that is a viable framework for uh, being able to support rural healthcare. It certainly um, is less likely to do the health improvement activities um, that a traditional rural hospital um, would be uh, somewhat bound to do, uh, both by mission as well as as uh, by the federal uh, regulation. But um, it may, in partnership with, say, uh, a federally qualified health clinic, um, be able to, you know, produce an environment where um, a emergency care in rural areas may still be available. And that 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 may not be the only model. Hopefully, we can maintain those institutions intact the way they are. Um, but it at this point, um, you know, with the evidence of the hospital margins, um, you know, being uh, really on a, on a fiscal bubble uh, with a larger share of those being rural. Um, it, it, we, you know, we all have to look um, if it is going to be a priority to maintain those institutions 
uh, towards what type of uh, system, uh, whether that is one that subsidizes them or, or one of them that, uh, uh, you know, that, is, that builds um, better access to clinicians. And, and you know, they're, they're, this is so incredibly multifaceted, to be honest, that it's hard to talk about it mm-hmm. as a what would be a single or what would be a couple of factors. Um, you know, what we look at often um, is um, how do you look at it holistically about where are the pain points and what can be done in the short term and long term to be able to mitigate uh, those particular challenges. Mm-hmm. If you look at workforce, I mean, we have uh, the physicians uh, are absolutely essential to hospitals. Um, they are not the majority of our workforce uh, the, as far as who we pay, um, but no one can be admitted to a hospital without a physician order. So they are essential to uh, the model of uh, care delivery in the United States. Um, we also know, though, that um, you know the current immigration policy in the U.S. Um, it, it limits the ability to bring in uh, the individuals who are qualified elsewhere uh, and get them a visa to provide care. Um, that that it, it still occurs. Um, individuals, you know, and, and maybe even over, overrepresented in rural areas by comparison. But um, it is more difficult than it probably ought to be for the, you know, future sustainability of our rural system. Another one, another example of um, the type type of change that may be necessary um, would be. You know, we've we had a great experience uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic with telehealth. Um, we we would certainly not be using it uh, the way it's being used presently had we not had uh, that agent uh, to uh, to force uh, the quick adoption of telehealth. Um, of his, telehealth, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Telehealth is really probably a, a buggy whip term, considering you know it's there aren't telephones involved, generally speaking, in the traditional sense. But you know, uh, uh, virtual care, um, and and that is not exclusive to a um, you know a, a, a patient and a clinician having a visit virtually. Um, what we're finding is is that uh, rural hospitals specifically are benefiting from uh, that infrastructure by allowing them to bring in experts that they would never be able to have on staff. So if an individual has a, uh, a major health episode, uh, then returns home, uh, but that home is in a rural area an hour from the hospital that did the, the actual um, the episode of care, then follow up theoretically, um, assuming that uh, we aren't in an emergency situation can be done locally uh, at the hospital or in another environment through telehealth. And so um, we are only beginning to understand uh, the full benefit. Um, We're seeing a lot of work clinician to clinician, uh, bringing expertise. Uh, And there's uh, numerous hospitals. One of note is Mercy Health um, out of St. Louis that has a virtual hospital. And they can do they do version, uh, virtual patient monitoring uh, from a hospital that is, uh, in essence, entirely filled with uh, providers and monitors. Um, and so, uh, you know, they can watch, uh, you know, 24 hours a day, an individual who has a sepsis risk, for example, um, and watch their, uh, all of their vitals. Uh, they can work with the, you know, the clinician who's on the ground. All of these things are technology-based. 
Um, and so, you know, that is, uh, that has, that's a kind of a force multiplier potentially um, for rural hospitals. And of course, you know, once again, staffing is one of the, the key challenges. So, um, you know, ensuring that you have en enough clinicians and those clinicians um, are not overextended within the organization uh, in a way that would jeopardize quality um, is going to be essential. Well, that is a hopeful, a hopeful note that you're sounding. Um, <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it, but we have used it. My own family, uh, mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're out in the country. And sure. uh, a couple of times I've emailed or, or actually used a telephone to send a picture to mm -hmm. uh, one of our doctors and, um, and gotten really good, good results from it. So, yeah. So and I've used it as well. And, and in fact, if you look at um, the, one of the great uh, ways that this can be an extender is behavioral health. I mean, there's, mm. I think there's one county in rural Missouri that is not a behavioral health shortage area. And that's only because there is a behavioral health hospital in that county. Um, and so every county in Missouri uh, that is not part of a metro um, is a behavioral health shortage area by the federal definition. Um, and uh, it's not it's not likely uh, that in short term we're going to be able to produce enough behavioral health professionals to um, array them throughout the state in a way that um, would uh, adequately address the challenges uh, that we're seeing in, in rural parts of the country. Uh, there was where we have research and and we've done we've collaborated with uh, the State Department of Mental Health as well as the um, the Coalition of, uh, of Behavioral Health Institutions in the state, which is a separate association, to try to figure out how to, uh, to best deliver services to understand how rural communities, um, because of their, their small nature and because of the stigma often attached to behavior, behavioral health services, um, that we can increase the anonymity while also increasing the access uh, so there, there's a, you know, one of my, uh, my pals who works at the behavioral health side basically said, you know, when you're, when your pickup truck is parked outside uh, a place that looks like a behavioral health institution, everybody in rural Missouri knows what your pickup truck looks like. Um, and how do you get past that? And so, the, you know, this is, uh, this is once again, technology is, um, can be a lever um, in, in the way that we move uh, the change in that area. That is really interesting. Could you define behavioral be, behavioral health for us? Sure. I mean, well, you know, if you look at uh, the, at research on uh, rural Missouri, you'll find that um, that many of the conditions associated with uh, behavioral health, which is you know depression and substance use and the like, uh, are overrepresented in rural areas. And so uh, the the challenge there, I mean the there's a, ter a term, and you're, you may uh, hopefully you're not familiar with it, but there's a good chance that you are um, about deaths of despair. Uh, you know the, the the lack of community institutions, the lack of opportunity. Um, you know the uh, substance abuse crisis all rolled into one uh, it, that creates uh, significant demand for. When I say behavioral health, I'm largely talking about what would be traditionally called mental health. Um, but those components are often less available to rural folks, uh, despite the fact that those conditions are often overrepresented in rural areas. And so uh, figuring out a way to create a bridge 
um, is really essential to um, to being able to deliver services and hopefully change lives. Excellent. Well, uh, you have answered so many of my questions already. Is there a difference between medical doctors and osteopaths um, in this in this situation? So not really. I mean, the, their training is slightly different. Um, a, a DO or a, an osteopathic doctor basically has more of a holistic view. So they um, they're not fundamentally different uh, educationally, other than that aspect. Um, you know, so the from a front line of care, um, they would likely say if at a, at a hospital emergency department which is often viewed as kind of the front door of a hospital, mm-hmm. um, they would do the same work. Um, so, you know, Missouri does have uh, a, we have, we actually produce more physicians through medical schools, including traditional medical school and, and schools of osteopathy uh, than we, uh, than we keep uh, because of the way that the residency programs are set up. Um, we've got you know an overabundance of teaching institutions, but we have a shortage of places where um, individuals who are through med school can go to uh, begin a residency so they can practice later in that specialty. Even if that specialty is family practice, they still would have to be required to do it. So one of the the uh, the promising things in general uh, that we have asked for and that the, our members of our Missouri federal delegation uh, have asked for, and, and even at the state level, I think, believe they've created some room uh, and investment at the state level uh, for rural specifically, um, is to expand the ability uh, of Missouri graduates from medical school to um, use hospitals as institutions where they can uh, complete their residency. Uh, the longer we keep them here, hopefully, uh, despite the fact we don't have uh, oceans and beaches and mountains and all of the things that attract people elsewhere, uh, we have a lot of uh, of you know wonderful things you can do in Missouri, and we'd like them, you know more of them to stay. Uh, part of that is to get them a residency, which allows them to you know to be introduced to communities. Uh, the University of Missouri has a program, uh, their uh, rural pipeline, or oh, shoot, I'm going gonna, gonna to get the name wrong and I don't want to do that. Um, the, but the university does have a, um, a, in essence, a rural track for physicians that would like to study and, uh, or excuse me, would like to practice in rural Missouri or a rural place in general. Um, and uh, what we're seeing is, you know, if you can weed out those that, uh, that, may do a residency in a rural area, but they really have no interest in long-term, um, you know, living in a rural community uh, or a small community uh, or, you know, having longevity in one, uh, then you can get those who are truly interested in practicing a kind of a different kind of medicine. Um, you know, uh, there's a hospital up in, uh, in Scotland County in Memphis on the, uh, on the Missouri-Iowa border. And, um, you know, had numerous discussions with uh, the administrator, former administrator who was there, who's also a physician, um, as well as their medical uh, director, both of which indicated um, takes a certain kind of person. It takes, you know, many doctors, uh, you know, that may work at your local hospital, uh, don't want to see their patients when they're out in the community. Oh. Other ones do. Oh. Other ones, um, you know, their community is like the family. 
And so they're happy to see him and they're, they're excited when they, you know, they uh, do a childbirth because that childbirth was the, the daughter of somebody they delivered, you know, 25 years ago, who's the, you know, the, uh, the granddaughter of somebody that they're caring for with, you know, issues that relate to being a senior. And so, you know, it takes a certain kind of, of individual to want to live in a community where they're more visible. Um, and so in rural communities, you're, you're going to be, uh, you know, having, having, you know, I uh, went to, uh, to school in Fulton and really never moved back to the Metro subsequently. I've lived in rural Missouri all my life and you're just going to run into people more. So, uh, you know, uh, so it, it, it does, it kind of matters. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's, there's a lot of disposition uh, issues there. It, you know, there are also many, and this doesn't just go to physicians, but there are one of the things we see very often is that, that one of, you know, in a couple, uh, one, one works on the farm, the other works at a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the hospital uh, benefits and pay help, uh, help, you know, off put the uncertainty that, that often is associated with farming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are elements um, of uh, that rural lifestyle where the, that have these institutions are, are truly um, anchors for the other portions of the economy there. Um, and certainly that works both directions because agriculture is certainly the biggest, uh, uh, the biggest industry in most parts of rural Missouri. And so uh, having the hospitals that can support care for them is, uh, is you know, really important. Um, it's also one of the more dangerous professions, which um, uh, from a purely OSHA standpoint, I mean, you, you know, the idea of the, the equipment you work with, the type of injuries you could sustain require that you get care in that golden hour um, in many cases. And so having uh, these institutions is not only essential because of the many benefits they provide for health improvement and economic activity, but they truly save lives because you're every minute that you cut off the, to that first moment of care for something significant is, is better for the outcome. Mm-hmm. Well, you got that. I could go on talking about this for about the next six days. So, if you, <laughs> uh, if you, you know, whenever you, you know, want to, when I cut it off or get me redirected, please do. No, you know, it's interesting. Um, you mentioned very briefly the the example of uh, a rural community that would have a hosp- uh, emergency type hospital, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe not a hospital where people were in extended stay or uh, right inpatient care. Yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I wonder if there are any examples of that anywhere in our state that you can think of. So, well, the policy is literally um, got that um, fresh new federal policy smell. Um, I don't believe that there is a single institution in the country that is currently qualified for the, that, uh, that policy. Um, I think the rule writing for it, which usually follows within, you know, the six months a year of, of major federal le- legislation like this was just issued within the last couple of months. So there isn't yet um, a use case. Um, what I suspect though, will be that um, some institutions that are on the bubble that are sustaining um, certain portions of their operations by um, having use of an emergency department um, may view this as a way to remain viable uh, by using transfers, you know, get that first point of care to stabilize um, and then subsequently move that individual uh, to a higher level care. 
that actually already occurs. Uh, there's state policy that kind of mirrors federal policy on how our trauma system works, um, you know, basically connecting small hospitals to larger hospitals uh, from the smallest to the largest. My guess is, is that, you know, uh, both at the federal level and at the state level, we'll have a significant amount of rule writing to figure out what these look like mm-hmm. um, and or whether they are the right answer. Um, but in some cases, um, when that policy and the payment system around it are uh, are fully established um, and someone begins to uh, to look at uh, how, how those are operationally uh, uh, driven and data comes back on how they may work, that we may say this is a good tool. Unfortunately, we're, we're just simply not there yet. I, w- I will say that many um, small hospitals, critical access hospitals have um, a, uh, a limit, and those are you know many rural hospitals for a purely uh, sustainability standpoint are within that critical access hospital system. They have a limit of the uh, number of days that, you, that an, an individual can be an inpatient. They have a limit on the number of beds uh, that can be uh, that are available within that facility. Although they they often use them as uh, what they call swing beds, which in essence are um, a balance between an inpatient care bed and a long-term care bed. So um, you know, challenge number uh, 643 for rural areas is uh, it's not just the hospital systems and and then care providers uh, for individuals who are well, it is uh, also for people who need long-term care. And this is an interview with Dave Dillon. It first aired on Farm and Fiddle, October 5th, 2022. Dave Dillon is Vice President of Public and Media Relations for the Missouri Hospital Association. I'm Margo McMillan, and this is a production of Farm and Fiddle from KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia, Missouri. Uh, one of the bigger challenges, and this is probably worth mentioning, despite the fact that I probably have uh, going to need to have you get another cup of coffee to listen to me for oh. that long, um, is that uh, we aging in place in a in a uh, in a rural area. Um, requires a whole different set of supports uh, than it often does in an urban area. Um, individuals, you know, don't live as close to one another. Uh, the, the systems of care uh, that, you know, a, a, a fairly senior person often needs uh, may be farther from them. So, you know, one would hope that, that uh, what we've seen in the progress of technology will allow us to some degree to, uh, to create a bridge for those individuals um, but uh, to some degree as well, that'll also be developed in parallel with the ability to have broadband uh, throughout rural parts of the state. Um, because if you want to deliver uh, virtual monitoring, you're going to have to have an individual who on the other side uh, in their home uh, can connect with you. Mm-hmm. So um, lots of potential hurdles. There's great investment going on. Uh, there's, some, there's great discussions going on about what the healthcare system should look like. Um, and Medicare, uh, my our former CEO uh, had at one point been uh, the acting director of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services at the federal level. So he had a pretty good eye for what was important in, in Medicare. Uh, and as I said, that's a huge program for all hospitals, but rural specifically. The Medicare focuses on 
all organizations that are that are within their payment system, they'd be equitable. So if a uh, an individual in a rural place that is a, a Medicare beneficiary um, uh, has challenges of accessing care, then that is a that is a concern for the, the Medicare program, and that um, may be. Uh, assuming that that those values are uh, some extend into the future, that that may be part of how uh, the rural health framework, which is once again slightly overrepresented with individuals who are older, less healthy, um, and more more likely on Medicare and Medicaid, uh, they eventually um, receive some support. Is that Medicare would say those this is unequal from what we see in urban and suburban areas, and we need to figure out how best to invest in this so that we have some degree of equity. Oh, okay, I see. Well, um, one of the things that we hear around here in in uh, rural Missouri is that if Missouri had expanded Medicaid in the state, that um, our problems would be over; that the hospitals would be rich again. Uh, what do you think about that? So, you know, it's, it's obvious. I've been very close to this for many years. Um, uh, Medicare, Medicaid is an important program, um, but uh, it, it, for one, um, you know, get the idea of getting rich on, uh, on Medicaid. I remember when uh, the expansion was passed in the Affordable Care Act um, and we began advocacy efforts to try to get uh, those uh, that expansion passed adopted in Missouri. And a hospital executive said, "I can't believe I'm spending this kind of time and energy for something that gets me sixty cents on the dollar." So the difference, though, is that sixty cents on the dollar or sixty-five cents on the dollar is better than zero. Um, it also allows um, the individual that is in the program to receive uh, care along a, on, on a continuity uh, of care uh, model rather than just episodic. So ideally it would allow uh, good care management that removes the care that was unnecessary or um, extremely costly that might've occurred uh, episodically in an emergency department into care coordination that gets that individual into chronic care management or primary care or the right venue of care meaning even if it's just going to a, um, an urgent care or a physician's office instead of an emergency department. So that reduced the uh, emergency departments are the most expensive places hospitals run. They're the, they have the highest skills, they have the highest use of resources, they're up on 24 hours a day, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so if, uh, if you can remove unnecessary care uh, that is extremely expensive and often not paid for from that venue, uh, and it's also inconvenient just the people who are having sometimes legitimate emergencies versus um, that's the only venue that some people can get carry in, uh, then you create better throughput throughout. You may not do it where you make money, but you will potentially lose less. Um, and so that that sadly, in some ways, is the is the financial argument. Uh, the 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 better argument really is is that um, we believe that by being in that program, uh, those that are eligible will be able to get the kind of access to care that will allow them to reduce, to improve health and reduce cost over time. Um, and that, you know, that is just going to be a matter of, you know, once you, there's clear evidence that once you have a, uh, both a venue of care and a regular provider of care, 
um, that you will use that more appropriately when you can. Um, so that's good for the system overall. And it's there's no politics on, on that at all. It just makes sense. The other thing that is is really important that um, that folks in Missouri know and 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 almost no one does is that um, the state's share, a big portion of this is how how costly it is to expand uh, this this program to uh, Missourians within the expansion, but also the existing Medicaid program is a large portion of the, the state's budget. Now, a huge share of the, that portion of the state's budget is not state dollars. It's the federal dollars that Missouri receives to be able to implement the program. On top of it, the third largest tax in the state of Missouri is a tax on hospitals that is used to offset the state's share of, uh, of, of the money that would go to hospitals uh, to uh, help support uh, care in those hospitals for Medicaid patients. So when, uh, and, the, and the, the way this is done is, uh, is complicated and it's done in close to real time and it's kind of nightmarish if, if you're, um, you're not a, a policy wonk. But in essence, um, hospitals pay the lion's share of their own freight uh, by paying a tax that allows the state to use the tax to offset um, its share of Medicaid. Now that is not to say that Medicaid is inexpensive and costs state money. It absolutely does, but provider taxes and those are hospitals have them. Uh, uh, see, what, uh, suddenly nursing homes have them, ambulance have them, ambulance have them. Um, there are a number of um, of categories of providers who are helping the state off state offset the state's share. Simultaneously, we we put out a, a report every year about what the cost of uncompensated care is. Um, in Missouri, in the last year that we have data for, which I believe is 2020, um, there was about a billion two uh, provided in uncompensated care. Um, and that, that then also translates in what are our losses for Medicare and Medicaid? What are our investments in the, in, you know, the community that are through donations and the like? And so you get um, to about uh, statewide about uh, the 2.5 billion or more um, in, in total benefit. But that's a heck of a bad way to deliver care is by doing a, um, uncompensated episodic care for individuals who happen to show up in your emergency department. And that's how we move the needle is changing that model. Um, and that's true in urban areas as well as it's true in, in rural areas. Uh, but it's because of the nature of the demographics, it's probably more important that we do it in rural areas. Mm -hmm. Sorry, once again, man, this thing is, uh, you know, it's, it, it's really complicated. And what it looks like um, from the outside is often what's not really happening on the inside. Wow. Well, I really appreciate all this information and, and your willingness to, to spend time with me. And, you know, of course. Yeah. And I, I, I'd be happy to talk about, I mean, we'll, we often have, um, the, you know, once again, you know, there are some of the, the challenges for rural places are so pronounced that we'll, we will do research specific on, uh, on rural as, you know, aspects of uh, the state's healthcare system. Mm -hmm. I will make sure that you, you get those um, because, you know, they will be more linear. <laughs> you know, when you look at system-wide, it becomes more problematic to, to be able to draw a straight line between things. Great. I would really appreciate that. And, and I, 
would love to get you back on, uh, you know, at some point to 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 update us, especially as this, sure. the current stories are continuing to evolve. Um, gosh, can I ask you a question? Just, oh, sure. So you you had indicated that we were we were hearing a lot. I assume you know there's certainly the um, the stuff with uh, you know the the hospitals in Andrean and in Callaway, yeah. um, and we have seen. I think we we had about since 2014, we've had about 10 additional hospitals. I want to say it's 10. I, I have yeah, charts someplace, but um, the pandemic threw me off when it came to a lot of these. Um, but, you know, it, it is a challenge. Um, and I think the most recent um, other than uh, Mexico and Fulton uh, was in Ripley County um, in Donovan. Um, you know, that's a classic small town if there ever was one. Um, and I don't know if you've been there, the no. Donovan or and or Ripley County. Um, but, uh, you know, if you look up rural in the dictionary. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, this uh, most of these have been uh, rural closures. Um, so that viability and some of it, some of what we'll produce in the future is financial. So we have a workforce report uh, that. I believe does a breakout for rural. Um, I'm happy to when those roll out. Uh, I, and I'm, by the way, I'm happy to go in your studio as well. But um, generally, I just, it's been a long week. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, it's just really complicated and we do some really great research and I'd love to be able to talk long form about it. Let's do it. You know? I would love to do that too. Um, I'm in Callaway. And okay. so, you know, I'm hearing, that's why yep. I'm hearing a lot. And, and I've been, you know, it's, it was surprising to me. I used to be part of a before before the pandemic, part of a group that sort of we studied these rural issues and mm -hmm. um, and based in Callaway County. Um, and I was really surprised at how little traction I could get when I talked about hospitals because I have been my my um, former husband was very involved in raising money for the new Callaway Hospital. Mm -hmm. So I've been pretty involved with that as you know, just personally. And um, I, one of the things I see with my rural community is that we are equally distant. I'm more toward Millersburg. We can get to Columbia just as easily as we can get to Fulton. Right. And if you're in New Bloomfield, let's say you can get to Jeff City as, as fast as you can get to Fulton. And yep. so there's really a limited part of our county that is let's say in jeopardy, uh, getting to a place fast, you know, the Williamsburg right. area, that kind of thing, a little dicey. Um, but it, it just is, it's a, you know, the, I see the hospitals as community builders, just as, as mm -hmm. we started this conversation. And I see our community builders disappearing. And you're listening to an interview with Dave Dillon, Vice President of Public and Media Relations at the Missouri Hospital Association. This first aired on Farm and Fiddle on October 5th, 2022. Farm and Fiddle airs on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM in mid-Missouri, and KOPN.org on the World Wide Web. We air at 6 p.m. Central Time every Wednesday. I'm Margo McMillan, and now let's go back to the conclusion of that interview with Dave Dillon.
Yeah, I know. Once again, I know a thing or two about Fulton. Yeah, I know um, you do. And, uh, you know, I, I think you're right. Yeah. And every community has to have those foundational institutions that you know, are recognized as whether that's a big employer who, you know, is truly local and wants to give back and has, has you know, a stake in the future of the, of the, the city or county, um, whether it's a, it's a healthcare institution or some other institution that is a, an employer, but it's also um, a place that people look to for leadership. Um, and, you know, as those erode, um, you know, you, you get to where these, you know, smaller cities, um, they struggle to have, you know, the heart of what it takes to maintain an identity as a place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we uh, have often talked about, um, you know, it, certain institutions are having one is like uh, being a, what in the people in the sports world would call being a, you know, a franchise city. You know, if you don't have a baseball team, a football team, hockey team, a basketball, you're not a franchise city. You're not kind of really for real, um, <laughs> you know. So, you know, if you don't have a hospital, you know, it's hard to be on the map. Um, it's hard to attract employers. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's you're going to lose all of the higher income people who normally work at, at, at a hospital who are often also kind of tend to be educated and tend to be, um, you know, have a, a, a passion about a community that they're working in. Um, and it's, so it just becomes, a, you know, it, it's almost a, you know, a vicious cycle of, uh, and not just hospitals, but when those institutions in general, uh, when they start to disappear, um, you know, you, you begin to lose the essence of a, a community. And so, you know, and that is so much more profound in rural areas than it is in urban areas where, you know, in St. Louis, we've got like four large healthcare systems with, and, and you know, not to say anything negative about them, they they do great and they do collaborative work and they do competitive work that you know uh, that is all great for that metro. But if you lose uh, a small hospital in a small community, it's it's fundamentally different. By the way, you're absolutely right. I think the um, the to go back to the initial statement, if you've seen one hospital, you've seen one hospital. Oh, yeah. That's the a challenges good. of Mexico and Callaway um, are that uh, are part locational. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they they're part community. Uh, they're part structural, like, uh, you know, the same type of finance and workforce and all these other, uh, you know, kind of compelling challenges we face. But but. If you got a, a fairly large hospital that's 20 minutes away or 30 minutes away, um, then you've got a different set of challenges than one that is an hour away mm-hmm. uh, for, for another community. So it's uh, there's no right answer, um, but it does put a large hole in a community. Um, and that's, you know, I'm hearing the same from the folks in Audrain County. Oh, I'm uh, sure. Yes. So. But, I know. Absolutely. Well, that concludes our interview with Dave Dillon, who is Vice President of Public and Media Relations at Missouri Hospital Association. I'm Margot McMillan, and this is a Farm and Fiddle podcast. The interview originally aired on October 5th, 2022, and it aired on KOPN 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia. We air at 6 p.m. 
on Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Central Time, and on kopn.org. Thanks for listening.